Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, if this is your first time watching here, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it's an honor to have you a part of our Hill City community here whenever you're watching it, whether that's Sunday morning or whatever day you are tuning in. Uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and so grateful that you decided to join us as we kick off this new series called Won't He Do It? or Won't he do it, however you want to say it. And um, But the, we're going to take a look at the book of Mark, all right? And I'll explain everything about Mark here uh, in just a second. But we're going to be in this, um, this book for about 16 weeks together. And I know that feels so long, right? Well, here's kind of the rhythm of what we do. Uh, we like to do some topical things sometimes, but we also like to dig deeper into a specific book of the Bible uh, at least once or twice a year, and it'll be a longer series. Um, sometimes we do like a specific chapter uh, as well um, throughout the t throughout the year, but, but it's part of the rhythm. We want to learn in different ways and everything, and you might be sitting here saying, but I don't know anything about the Bible. Am I going to get lost? And I would say this is actually a perfect time uh, to engage because we're going to take uh, a look at some different contextual things that will help breathe life into how uh, you see the Bible. And even if you're a seasoned vet uh, with the Bible, my hope is and my plan is uh, to really challenge you and uh, really bring some new fresh eyes to uh, some of the stories that maybe you've gotten a little comfortable with. But before we get into Mark in and of itself, I, I want to have a little catch-up moment here that uh, will be important for us to begin to engage because of how much Mark references throughout uh, the chapters that he writes. And so I want to start here uh, with Adam and Eve. All right, we start here a lot because, well, it's important to. So Adam and Eve, they were they were in this garden. All right, no, no stick figures today. We'll just draw some greenery. Um, they're in this garden. And when God created, he created this system. It was kind of like that the whole earth is God's temple. Okay. And so kind of think of it that way where his presence resides, but God created this system. Um, and in this system, it was established for kind of human flourishing. All right. And so Adam and Eve were put into this. And what's interesting is that within this context is that Adam and Eve or humanity, I should say, will, will image who God is uh, when it's like operating the way that it should. And uh, there's, there's kind of this interesting, even like dynamics to the creation story. And one of them, honestly, that maybe you don't think about very often is, is that there were male and female. There were two different humans that were a part of this. And this kind of differential element uh, is important because what ends up happening, if God just made all humans alike, then there would be no exploring, no wondering, no different perspectives, no learning from one another. But this becomes like a, an interesting part about the differential we see uh, right there in the beginning. But what ends up happening is this little thing called sin. So little. Um, sin comes into this. And when sin enters into the world, it corrupts the whole system. It corrupts everything. And we get fear. We get shame. We get envy. Uh, we eventually get murder. We get all of these different things. And, and even the, the systems that were at play and the way people saw one another, it became corrupted because of sin and became this way of like, what sin is, honestly, is, is looking uh, or choosing what we want over what God has already given to us or prepared for us. And so what ends up happening is sin comes in and wrecks 
everything. But in the midst of that, what's really cool is God steps in and he's gracious and he sees the injustice, he sees the evil, he sees the corruption. And he says, I've got this story and I'm going to enter into this story and rescue my people. And so even right off the top in a little way, uh, the way it happens with Adam and Eve is that uh, they were both naked and unashamed. But when sin entered in the world, they became shame, uh, shameful what they, they did and they were, they were hiding. And then they knew that one another was actually naked. And what God does is he comes in and he gives them clothes, all right? And, and so that was a way, a gracious way to begin to help them in the midst of this. Well, go from there to this other story about this guy named Noah. And what we know from Noah is about this ark, right? And this ark here was on the water and the floods came and everything. I Actually, what I am going to do is I'm going to make those the water red. You guys don't like when I do this because guess what was happening during all that? Um was the master of all humanity. All right, so what was, and you know, that's not part of the kid's story, but here we are. So Noah, uh, what he uh, has going on here, I'll just write his name up there. Noah, um, like everything has just gone wild at this point. All right, I mean, it's so evil and everything. And God enters in again and he's like, all right, I got to set things straight. I got to make my creation, uh, kind of get it in line to where it should be and everything and, and, and take care of my people. There's so much injustice. There's so much evil. And he's got to come in here and allow good to end up happening again. So he, he brings in this way to make this happen. And then at the end of the story, some of you guys know this, at the end, I'm going to bring this up here going to place it right there, um, is this little rainbow that ends up happening. And we've seen rainbows all the time, but but what the rainbow ends up happening is like after the flood cease and God sends this rainbow, it becomes a sign for all, for forever. It's supposed to be a sign forever of God's promises to his people. And so remembering that God is always with us in this. And so that every time you and I see a rainbow, even right now, it should make us be a reminder of God's promises to save, God's promises to redeem, God's promises to restore. Like that's what a rainbow ends up being. Well, another kind of significant point in the story that ends up happening right after that is this story uh, with this guy named uh, Abraham. We'll just call him Abe. So Abe comes in uh, into this and Abraham has this incredible encounter uh, with God. And what God ends up saying is, and you look up and you see all those stars above you, Abraham. I'm going to give you so many offspring. It's going to outnumber the stars that you see uh, around you. And in 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 that great people, my people are going to come out of you. And and this becomes honestly that Abraham story is a such a pivotal point in the story. Even uh, some of you guys that are kind of aware of what's happening right now in Israel with Palestine and everything. Um, this this is actually the pivot point uh, of what happens like with, with Abraham or what doesn't happen with Abraham in this story of who God's people are. And um, th- a lot of that conflict, and again, this is kind of off on a tangent, but, but that conflict goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years and is so complicated, okay? So complicated. So I would just encourage you to be very careful about how strong your opinions are on that because it's so, so complicated. Um, but but what ends up happening is this piece of the story with Abraham is is a pivotal one for the people of, uh, of Israel, right? So Israel here then becomes God's people, all right? So Israel becomes God's nation, God's chosen people, and in that becomes this development of what it should look like. Well, what ends up happening is the people of Israel um, are uh, under the rule of this Pharaoh in Egypt, all right? 
And in Egypt, um, they're enslaved and things aren't going well. So, so God does this incredible, again, he steps in where there's injustice and all of these things. And he steps in with this incredible rescue mission, um, which becomes known as the Exodus. All right, this Exodus. Now, the Exodus story is such a big deal um, because what ends up happening is this becomes a huge movement of God's people. It then sends them into this whole new story of what is supposed to be. It actually turns them into... Um, I mean, he sends them, actually sends them into uh, the wilderness uh, for 40 years. And then they get to this point where it says that they're going to go across the Jordan River, all right? The Jordan River, where they will enter the promised land, all right? The promised land. So when that begins to happen is this like massive, massive story for the Israelites. But in the midst of that, here's what's interesting. Even though God has provided, even though God has restored, even though God has rescued, even though God has created this great exodus, and what ends up happening is uh, Israelites end up there like, we want our own king. All right, so we want our own king. All right, so they, they're like, hey, we want our own king. We want to be just like everyone else. And then when they have this uh, own king, what ends up happening is they keep turning away from God. They keep turning away from, and then God sends these prophets, all right, to come into play, to keep the, they kind of have the word of God sent into his people and to warn them that if you guys keep doing this, destruction is coming. If you keep doing this, people are going to die. If you keep doing this, you will no longer be recognized as my people because you just blend into everyone else. And so God, again, sends this incredible rescue mission into this and keeps warning people. And there's this one guy in particular well, there were several, um, but one guy that we'll, we'll reference a lot when it comes to Mark is this guy named Elijah. Um, Elijah plays a big role as a prophet of the people of Israel. He was a confrontational kind of character and was really like kind of hardcore calling people out. And um, what ends up happening with uh, Elijah is he's trying to set up the people of Israel to like follow in the right way. He's calling out injustice. He's calling out all this stuff. He's calling people to repentance, all of these different things because they have to turn back to God. But what ends up happening is they don't do it in its fullness. And through m so many different kings and so many different wars and points of exile and all these different things, the people uh, of Israel were kept waiting for a new exodus, okay? A, um, a, a, a The promise of a new kingdom, a new creation, a, a new setup for them. And then it was going to be done by this Messiah, all right? So the Messiah that's supposed to come is this anointed one, the anointed king who was going to restore people back to where they should be, restore the kingdom. Now, here's the thing, though. People thought about it in a way of that would happen through military might and everything else. And so that was the mindset that people were having. All right. So that's I mean, I literally just went through. I don't even know how many hundreds of years of history trying to boil it down for you guys to kind of catch us up to, to where we're approaching this moment with Mark and when it's written. Mark is one of the four Gospels, okay? And there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was the first one that was written, um, written probably, people believe, somewhere around 20 to 25 years uh, after the death of, of Jesus, um, written by this guy named John Mark. Now, wh why, why does any of this stuff matter? Well, in particular, when it comes to ancient writings and when we begin to engage them, 
anything that was written that close, and there are very few ancient writings that we have that were written that close to the actual moment. Um, for instance, you know, most of Roman uh, literature and historical um, writings are within hundred, hundreds of years away from when it actually happened. Um, but even with the story with Jesus, they, they, they have this writing with Mark that's, again, in the 20, 25-ish kind of years away from uh, when Jesus had uh, died and rose again. So, so what ends up happening and becomes so important in this context is uh, the readers of Mark, or in particular the listeners, because not everyone could read, they had already heard that Jesus had died and rose again, but they didn't know a lot. And they didn't know why, you know, that much about Jesus. They didn't know if they could believe in the resurrection. They didn't know so many things. And so Mark uh, goes with this guy named Peter. Um, Peter was uh, one of the closest people to Jesus. He was uh, one of the, you know, kind of top three people in Jesus' crew. What ends up happening is Peter uh, details out to Mark. He's like, let me tell you all of the things that happened. And so Mark writes all of these things down. Now, what I love about Mark, and again, you can see uh, in each gospel, right, what it, what it does, is it details out the life of Jesus and what he taught and um, what his kingdom is supposed to look like. And and honestly, like what um, what following him should, should look like. Um, but one of the things that I love about each gospel is that each one's like a different portrait of Jesus. Uh, they they might take the same story, but look at a different angle. So some of the details are a little bit different. Uh, they might take, uh, they might leave out one story um, that was in one, uh, but it's not in another one because they just felt like something else was, was more important to tell the story of Jesus. And so it's these really cool elements to how the gospels work because it allows us to see a fuller picture of who Jesus is. And I love that in each one too, you can see the the writer's personality in it. Even with Mark, one of the reasons that I like Mark so much is he's just kind of matter of fact. Uh, he's harsh. Like, what, like we're going to encounter some incredibly harsh passages and aggressive language and everything that Mark has. Uh, but I just like it because he's just kind of matter of fact. He's like, to the point, it's the shortest of all the Gospels. And he's just like, here we go. Here we go. It's kind of one thing after another. And he expects the person to take it in and, and understand context and everything. And feel the weight of it. And so, um, whereas like the Gospel of John is a little more, it's like a more fluid writing. You could tell he's a little more on the sensitive side and maybe emotional side and everything. And so you see the different personalities, but I like Mark because he kind of just digs uh, right in and we'll see that here right off the top. But what ends up happening in Mark is you'll see this in, in again, we're going to go through just the first eight verses here uh, this morning. Um, but the, in Mark, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to see uh, he's trying to get us to see that what Jesus is in this story is about the establishment of his kingdom here on this earth and a complete transformation of those that follow him. Unless, we, like if we don't get that part with Mark, that it's the establishment of a new kingdom and complete transformation from the inside out of those that follow him. If we miss that, we'll miss this whole Christianity thing. We'll miss, uh, we'll miss the purpose. We'll miss why it's important. We'll miss everything. We'll miss the seriousness of it, all of that. If we miss out on this part, all right, even if you just get one of the pieces, you got to get both, the establishment of this new kingdom and then the complete transformation of those that follow him. I wrote this down as kind of a way for us to take it in that the story of Jesus, all right, it's personal, it's cosmic, it's economic, it's political, and it's relational. All right, it's personal, cosmic, economic, political, and it is relational. So the story of Jesus, we, we try and like 
pare it down too much, but man, it's just so big. It's so massive. It's so weighty. And what you're going to see starting with today that the way that even it's written, it is tying this into this massive story of humanity. All right. A lot of times we're trying to boil it down to just the cross and just the in uh, the resurrection, which those are incredible things. Okay. And we'll talk about that. But, but man, the story of Jesus from the start ties into this huge overarching story of the entirety of humanity. All right. So that's why it's such a big deal and why it's so uh, transformative. So let's go to Mark chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, um, I would really encourage you guys, especially as we're kind of working through um, these passages together week after week, we're not going to cover every single verse. Um, we're going to do something different uh, during this series too. Uh, in between each Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to have on our Stay Curious podcast, uh, we're going to talk about the things that didn't get talked about uh, on Sunday. Sunday and kind of look at the other passages in each chapter. And we're going to answer any questions you have about what was talked about either by me or whoever's speaking on Sunday. So if you have questions, just send them in to info at hillcityrva.com, info at hillcityrva.com. And then what we'll do is we'll take those questions and then we'll answer them on the podcast uh, during the week. So let's go to Mark chapter one. So take out your Bibles, whatever, get ready to take some notes. And, and I want you to feel and see how like scripture can come uh, alive to us here. So Mark chapter one, the beginning. All right, you, I'm going to underline and highlight and notes and do a lot of circling and stuff like that. In the beginning, all right, that, that should sound familiar um, if you've ever read the Bible because Genesis one starts out the same way, in the beginning. So, so even right in those first two words, he is tying into a larger picture, okay? The larger picture of, of what this means because he's immediately getting people to start thinking about Genesis chapter one and the creation of every single. In the beginning, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, okay? I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So what we begin to see right here off the top is um, when it says it's it's from Isaiah, it's it's actually a mixture of a, a couple of different prophets. It's, it's from Isaiah, but it's also from this, this person named Malachi, who is another prophet. And what he's doing, what, what Mark is doing here is he's tying in this larger message to what came way before Jesus. All right, again, what people had been waiting for. So he's adding some context and he's like, all right, hey, in the beginning, and he's, and he's creating these pivot points. Think about Genesis. There's also a line in here that is from Exodus. And then there's Isaiah. And then there's uh, Malachi, which kind of covers like most of the Old Testament and um, on a, on a storyline. And so he, but in each of those passages that Mark is referencing, those are all significant pivot points in the story of Israel. All right. So this is why the story of Jesus is so important is it's not just about a person. It's also about the story of Israel. And that's why the story is so big. And so with this, we end up seeing that Mark's trying to clue them into all of this. And he and he starts off and he's like, hey, the good news, um, which just means the gospel. 
all right, the gospel, and that that's good news. This has been a familiar term to both Jew and Gentile people um, at that time. Romans used it all the time. Um, the, the good news was a declaration of what had happened, right? The, the gospel uh, was a declaration. Typically, it was done during wartime to celebrate like the king, the, the Rome's empire, everything. And so he's coming in. There's a, the gospel's coming in. And so they're using this language. Mark's using this language to kind of get them to see like, hey, Rome talks about their kingdom, their empire this way. But I'm telling you, there's something different here that the good news, the gospel of uh, about Jesus, the Messiah, the, the son of God. All right. So he steps into this and he's trying to get us to see, again, this is another kind of big pivot point in this when we start thinking about it, it's cosmic and it's personal, it's relational, it's economic, it's political. Again, these big kind of things with this story. He's stepping in. He's saying, listen, this already happened. It is news. This is not advice. This is not wondering what will happen. This is not prophetic of saying in the future. It's What Mark is saying is like, this has happened. The gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, like this has already happening. He's inviting uh, the listener now, in our case, inviting us into this story. And he's like, this has already happened. All right, so come on into this. And I want you to see how big this actually is. What ends up happening, and you're going to hear me today stress the bigness of everything so much, because um, here's what we do so often with the story of Jesus. We only make it personal. We only make it personal. And we just think about, oh, the sin is just personal. Not true. Sin is communal. If I sin, it doesn't just hurt me in some kind of way. It could hurt someone. It will hurt someone else in some capacity. It will devalue someone else in some capacity. It can hurt my kids. It can hurt Lacey. It can hurt someone. Like, it, sin is communal, right? So all of a sudden it becomes bigger. It's not just personal. Our salvation that talks about when Jesus saves, it's, it's, it's bigger. It's not just um, a personal thing. It's communal. It's it's bringing in a new creation, a new humanity, a new kingdom. And it's an entirely new mindset. So it's it's way bigger. We've got to stop um, with this mindset of, um, of 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 just a simple uh, moment for us. It's it's bigger in the midst of this. I actually wrote it down this way: um, that the story of Jesus is not about him coming into our hearts. That's not. Like that concept is a modern evangelical um, interpretation of things that is not what we see in scripture, okay? It's not the main thing. It's not even close. And so the story of Jesus is not about him coming into our hearts. The gospel, okay, the good news, the gospel is about establishing his kingdom, fulfilling the promises to Israel, and a transformative new humanity and new creation through the way of the cross. Like, that's what we see in scripture. Can you imagine if that was the way we thought about this Jesus story? If that was the way we talked about it? If that was how we felt it and knew it and could sense it in the core of our very being? It changes everything. It it makes everything way more serious. It makes everything feel, it makes us feel the weight of this. It, 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 uh, so much of our faith right now seems optional right? Um, But not when we talk about it this way, not when we talk about his kingdom, not when we talk about fulfilling promises, not when we talk about a transformative new creation, new humanity, not when we talk about the way of the cross. It's not optional. And so that's what Mark's trying to do. He's trying to hammer this home in such a big way. And so even in this moment, in these first three verses, 
Um, this is like, I was about to say mic drop, but it's actually papyrus. So it's like a papyrus drop, right? So he, he it's like, if you can imagine when the scroll being rolled up, this is how, I, again, this is how my mind works with scripture sometimes. Um, but even when he says the son of God language, all right? So he uses the son of God and uh, that wording was used for uh, Caesar Augustus in 9 BC. And um, it even has the same rhythm uh, that he calls him the anointed one. He calls him uh, that the good news came through him and says the son of God and everything. And, and Mark is kind of taking a little jab at Rome right there uh, and empires in general. And he's like, nope, the son of God is Jesus. All right, so it's like is how I picture this is like Mark writes this down and he they read it out to all the disciples and they're just like, ooh, hot scroll, hot scroll, come with it, right? Like, like, like this. And, and like he's like calling people out that like, man, God's kingdom is so out like out outside of this earthly kingdom, whatever that is. And so so he's like coming and he's saying that. But the other thing that's so cool about the Son of God is that that was also what Israel was called um, early on in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. That's what it was referred to, that, that Israel was referred to the Son of God. And so what Jesus is saying is like, no, no, no. I mean, what Mark is saying is that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that he is the Son of God of God. And so what ends up happening is, is we start seeing this new creation, this new kingdom, this, this um, again, bigger mindset, the fulfilling of the promises and everything in the way of the cross. We start seeing this in a way bigger way so that when we start talking about salvation, it isn't just a feel-good moment that it's about getting into heaven. Again, when you read through the Bible, We've, we've really distorted the message that becoming a Christian is about getting into heaven. That is not what the Bible talks about. That is not the message of the Gospels. That is not like a part of this. This is a part. It's way bigger than that. It's way more meaningful now in the present. It's it's way more transformative uh, than all of that. And so um, it's important because then salvation means so much more. Salvation means this new creation, this new humanity, this new way of life that, that we see it through the lens of the cross. And what ends up happening is we see um, that salvation will always... Um, bring us a, a new sense of the fullness of our humanity. It's like, think about it this way. Again, this is the differential and stuff. Sin, um, what sin does is it always dehumanizes. Sin never allows us to be the human we're supposed to be, the fullness of it. But the salvation piece allows us to experience it. Now, are we perfect or anything? No, we're not saying that, but we get to, we, we know that salvation means that in the present, we're a new creation, a new humanity, and we get to experience this fuller element of, of, our, of, of living. Um, and then we, we know that we live in the not now, um, um, but not f- the fullness, right? We, we live in the now, but not yet, meaning a fullness right now, but man, the, what we know will be made whole someday. And that's the hope of Jesus in the, and why it's so big. And so even when Mark is talking here, here's what he's done. He's taking what has been made normative in culture, and this still applies to us today. Like, I hope you already see that. What's been normative in language, what's been, let's just use modern day, what's been normative in language about Jesus, normative in language how we talk about being saved, normative in language uh, about salvation and everything else. He, what Mark is doing, he's taking that and he's flipping it in a way. Um, and he's doing it in a way he's like, man, what you think is normal is is really not the way of Jesus. Um, th- this is how I kind of think about it. I'm sorry, not there. Um, that the good news of Jesus is bad news for what is accepted as normal. All right. So the good news of Jesus is bad news uh, for what is accepted as normal. And I think I know that that applies to our lives because here's what ends up happening. We make all these things normative. 
And it's like, but when you fully dig into the good news of Jesus, it says, hey, what you've made normal in your life, that's not the way of the kingdom, that's not acceptable. And the good news of Jesus speaks life into that and says, that's not okay. And I started, it's like this big wake-up call, right? And I started thinking about this. Um, this was, my gosh, probably 21 years ago now. Um, and I, I, you know, over 21 years, has this story gotten embellished? Maybe. Has, um, am I missing some of the details? Possibly. I don't know. But here's what I know happened. Um, a large boom, I was in my apartment, and uh, a large boom happens, okay? And, um, and I, and I kind of woke up, and it was probably like four or five in the morning. I woke up, and it's like this flash of light. It was like the surge of everything, and I just couldn't get myself together. And I was like, what in the world? And I thought, um, so I grew up in a way of thinking, and there's some a whole other theological talk around this, but that when God comes back, some people are going to get left behind and all this other stuff. Well, I thought it happened. All right, so in that moment, I'm sitting there. I spring up out of bed, and I'm thinking to myself, shoot, God came back and I got left behind and I'm screwed, right? So I'm thinking about that and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm like so stressed out. And I think to myself, you know, I'll just call home because like there's no way my parents are still here. So if this is true, so I call home and uh, my dad answers the phone and I woke him up and he's like, hello. And I was like, oh, hey, dad. He's, I was like, huh. So my heart, I was like, my heart kind of went at rest because he's like, what's going on? I was like, oh, nothing. I thought the rapture happened, um, but it's all good. And so I just hang up the phone. I'm getting ready to go back to sleep. Of course, my mom calls back two, two minutes later. and It's like, what are you doing with your life? Are you following Jesus? All this other stuff. But anyway, it was a wake up call for me in that moment of like, hold on a second. What am I doing? What is my life about? What I have uh, made normal is actually not, I didn't have the hope of Jesus. I didn't have the trust in Jesus. I didn't, I was not living a life that had like this security of who I was in his kingdom. And so this wake up element is important. The wake up continues here. If you go uh, down to verse four and it says this, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. All right, so this wilderness is important. And John the Baptist, who's related to Jesus, um, preaching a baptism of repentance for the the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. That, again, is a little bit hyperbolic, um, but there's a lot of that in the Bible. Um, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in where? The Jordan River. Do you remember? We already talked about the Jordan River. Um, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now you may think, why does that stuff matter? Well, John the Baptist, Elijah was kind of wild. And so they're tying, this is why these things are important. John the Baptist is getting associated with Elijah. So these kind of hyperlinks to going back and forth to these stories. And so the listeners cluing in to like, oh, the story of Israel and Elijah, what he was calling people. And John the Baptist is coming in and doing this stuff too. And and and, he, and if you look back, remember, it's like in the wilderness. Remember when I was telling kind of the overarching story, I said in the wilderness, um, the Israelites were sent out for 40 years. And so when they talk about wilderness, they're like, we always know in wilderness, all right, that's where God is faithful. That's where things change. Those are pivot points in the story. That's when we're tested. And when we're tested, you know, things begin to change in our lives. We, are, um, we have a bigger capacity to experience God in the midst of that. Um, and then uh, in the wilderness is is uh, also what's interesting in this, um, 
the wilderness is the opposite of the temple. You see, when it said that the people of Jerusalem went out to him, what's interesting is they're talking about repentance and forgiveness. All of those things are supposed to happen inside the temple, inside the temple square, in the presence. And there was a certain system that was set up. And so what we see is that like, oh, like, hold on a second that this message that John the Baptist is preaching about this coming king, this coming person who's going to be far greater than him, actually, like they have to go outside of the current system that's at play, outside of the current religious system, outside of the way that they've messed it up and kind of like missed out on the message of Jesus. And so, again, what he's doing is he's setting up a larger understanding, a bigger narrative that we'll dig into at different points, even around the temple and why Jesus is the greater temple and all this stuff. And so he's setting all these little pivot points in this scripture for us to see this bigger picture of what Jesus is doing. So look, Mark is establishing that the Jesus movement will always feel outside of the prevailing culture and will require sacrifice. When John the Baptist is calling these people to... um, to a time of baptism and everything, it wasn't about what you're personally doing. Um, that baptism for John was uh, this call to a renewal, this call to a commitment, this call to a corporate kind of, um, not gathering, but a corporate movement that you're going to be a part of. That's what he was doing. And so it's this bigger thing that begins to happen. Let's end with this, verse 7 and verse 8. And this was his message. After me, so it's not me, This is what John the Baptist is saying. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what he's coming in here, and listen, the removal of sandals is something not even the lowest servant would have been asked to do in Israel's culture. And so John's like, man, I'm not even worthy to do that. And here's what I find like so fascinating Um, because what John's doing is he's talking about, I'm just doing this with water and I'm like helping kind of form people into this movement and getting people to understand and getting people excited. And all this stuff that I'm doing is external. Like, but, but what Jesus is coming to do with the one that's more powerful than me, it's coming to do is going to be this internal thing. That's so transformative, so transformative that ushers in this whole new way this whole new mindset, this whole new kingdom. It's like, it's revolutionary. This is why this is messed up in the modern church. Right now, so much of it is about the external. So much of it is about little changes. So much of it about this whole Jesus stuff, even when you get baptized, it's like, oh, it's like a cool moment and everything. But the way it's talked about in Mark, the way it's talked about, again, as we kind of work through this, it is transformational. It is revolutionary. It is just like all consuming. It is like, man, it just like shreds the inside of us to produce something so much greater and that people will see it. But when we kind of just go halfway and and we don't really take in the fullness of it, that's why I get, the message gets so disjointed. I mean, think about this. Um, sometimes we, I feel like we make Jesus our buddy, right? come on, bud, like you're on this journey with me. We're just me and Jesus walking along. And like, wow, so he uses friendship language. I get that. But man, there's this also this other piece that we're, we're missing out. It reminds me of a, a friend uh, that I had in, in college. His name was Anthony, and he was a registered lethal weapon. 
as a person. And, um, and so I don't know why you do that or how you do that, whatever. But there's this part of him where um, he was such a cool guy. He was funny and everything. We'd go out together, whatever. And um, But there's I always had this like sense of fear of him because I knew he could kill me in like six seconds. And so there was this element with him that I'm like, yeah, we're friends. But like, I was also kind of like, I was like, man, I respect that dude because he could hurt some people. And um, and sometimes I think we think of Jesus like in the same way where like, we're like, we're like, he's my buddy. He's just along with us, but we forget this other part of him. So let me ask you about this. Is Do you see Jesus as your buddy or the appointed king of salvation of the world? <laughs> two different, two different things, right? If we just see him as our buddy, that's where apathy comes in. Uh, that's where we get too comfortable. Uh, that's where... Um, well, uh, we begin to like have entitlement or fragile faith. Like we we kind of miss out on all of these things. But here's why I think that happens. We we've reduced the message of the gospel to a personal salvation rather than a transformational community altering kingdom, altering kingdom and mindset. This is why it's so big. And this is why I just wanted to start off um, this series with trying to get us to to understand like how massive this is, how transformative it is, why it's such a big deal and in, 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 in get us away from this, well, it's just kind of optional or it's kind of, I'm just kind of going to do what I want to do. I just kind of like, I just like an add into my life. I'm like, that's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. That is not what we see here. And so that's what we're going to continue to push on. But I wanted to set kind of our foundation in this story of like, all right, this is what Mark's doing. He comes in aggressive and he comes in hard and to set the foundation before we get into the other things. So here's two questions that I want us to end with. How do you see the story of Jesus as cosmic, personal, relational, political, and economic? So how do you see it? So when you, like to be able to articulate in your life, like how do you see it this way? Or do you see it that way at all? Um, and then the second question there is, what is one thing you've normalized that you know isn't the way of the kingdom? What's one thing you've gotten too comfortable, um, you've kind of let it go, or you've kind of made it seem like it's normal, but you know in your heart that like, that's not the way of the kingdom. What, what's one thing, and then, and then what are you gonna do about that? Let's pray. So God, this morning, um, we come to you honestly with a sense of awe, uh, a sense of um, reverence, a uh, level of just humility, um, because if we, if we don't, we're gonna miss out on some big moments. We're gonna miss out on some critical things to our faith and understanding of who you are. Um, some elements as we engage scripture uh, over the next you know, few months together um, in a way that um, deepens our faith, in a way that will um, transform how we, uh, even, even if we've known some of these stories, like I, I'm praying a transformational element to how we start seeing things and feeling things and experiencing who you are in our lives. And at the end of this, God, that each week we're coming out of this saying, like, all right, it's time for me to take another step, another step, another step and allow your spirit to move in a powerful way. So whether that's a first step or again, a millionth step, whatever it is, God, that each one is so critical in our process and that you're with us, but it has to start with an understanding of how big, um, how amazing and how connected this story is with all of humanity. So God, my heart and my prayer for us today was that we would just get there and um, begin to start questioning some things, um, be convicted of some things, and start moving forward in the way that you want us to have this new creation, this new humanity, this new kingdom that shows who you really are. So God, we just love you and thank you uh, for all that you do. 
And um, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Amen.